Joining me on the show today is my good friend, Garrett Lowe. He is a next-gen pastor, but he is not your run-of-the-mill pastor, folks. Oh, no. I'm bringing you some solid advice with my buddy, Garrett. He is going to give you the rules of engagement, whether it's in the church space or it's in the workplace. This is a hard talk about how to be truly a servant leader. So regardless of what you believe about church or where your faith aligns, this message is for you if you are leading teams anywhere. So stay with me because Garrett completely delivers. Hey there, you're listening to the Living a Limitless Life podcast. I'm Sharon Hughes, and on this show, we talk about mastering your mindset, growing your faith, and becoming the leader you want to be with tips, strategies, and interviews to help you create a life you love. I'm really glad you're here. So come on, let's go. Joining me on the show today is Garrett Lowe of Living Word Community Church. He's a next-gen pastor. You might remember him from episode eight when we talked about creating a balanced, purposeful life. He's back to share thoughts on creating the trajectory for your life. And also, we're going to have a hard talk about leadership and culture. Welcome back to the show, Garrett. Woo-hoo! What's up, <laughs> it's, back it's so good to have you back. I feel like you're like my faraway brother. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, right on. Because you are a distant mentor, right? Yeah, kindred spirits as, <laughs> what's that lady, Anne of Green Gables? Is that, is that who said that? Oh, uh, I never read Anne of Green Gables, but hats off to you for knowing the reference. Oh, it's because I'm married to Pat, my wife, Heather, who's just like is a sucker for some of those old uh, old books and stories. <laughs> That's awesome. So a lot has happened since you were on the show. Like you have just been on a mission of speaking out about culture and leadership. So I'm just going to let you take the lead and dive right in with what you've prepared to share today. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, well, being a pastor, I'm constantly thinking about two things, evangelism and discipleship. Mm -hmm. So evangelism, just, you know, telling people about Jesus and, you know, what the kingdom of God is and all that. And then discipleship, helping people grow uh, to be like Christ and all that kind of stuff. So I'm constantly thinking about that. And our culture is changing so much where evangelism that worked 20 years ago wouldn't work today. Like you, mm-hmm. no one wants people knocking on your door in the middle of the day. Like right. there's, we don't like salesmen, like vacuum salesmen. Like no one goes and sells vacuums like that anymore. At least not in my neighborhood. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but like going door to door is just, it's old hat. You know, it's our mm-hmm. culture change where we're pretty private. You know, we have email, things like that. So I'm just asking these questions about, well, what is culture and how has culture changed and how can how can I be a leader in, in the world of church and ministry and even business too with the way that culture's changed. So I'm not an expert in culture, but I am a student and I do feel like I've been been learning a whole lot. So love to share some 
thoughts. I, I don't know. I got to stop you right there. I think you're an expert because I see what you are posting on your social media. And that was exactly why I said, you've got to come back on because the things that you're talking about are so relevant, especially now. There's so much going on in our culture where we see leaders falling left and right. And just in recent weeks of having two people who had pretty big platforms within the church community say they're walking away from their faith. Oh, yeah. How about it? Right. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what started it for me is I went to I went to lead a young adult retreat. And I was on this retreat and I wasn't speaking there. I was just along with my young adults from the church. And I was just kind of being a participant along with it. And we went through a foot washing ceremony. Wow. Have you been a part of a foot washing ceremony? I, I have not. You've never had anyone wash I, I, Well, except <laughs> when I get a pedicure. <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. Um, and I'm just like, wow, this is so weird. Like, you know, I, and I, I kind of felt awkward. But I'm like, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go sit in this chair and I'm going to let this other person wash my feet. And it's something that happened in the Bible with Jesus mm-hmm. when in John chapter 13, he washes his disciples' feet. And some of them are resistant to it. They're like, no, you don't, don't wash my feet. You know, Peter was saying, you know, don't wash my feet, Lord, but he does it anyway. <clears throat> and sometimes, you know, the cultural, the cultural norm back then is to, you know, your feet get dirty when you're walking, you're just wearing sandals. And um, I feel like I'm going to sneeze here. <laughs> All right. Here, 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 here. So should, feet, we leave, well, should we put that in the blooper reel or we'll just leave it right in the, in the middle? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we know why they washed feet back in the day. It's because right. the feet were dirty from walking on these dusty roads and their feet might get scraped up and they might be bloody. And so washing people's feet was actually a really low job on the totem pole. It was something that the serv- servants would do. And it was considered, you know, just gross and ugh. So if I came to your house for a meal, one of your servants would wash my feet before I came in the house or when I entered the house? Most likely as you enter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the first century, that's what would would have it or at the very least if they didn't if they were poor and they didn't have uh servants there would be a, a basin by the door with water uh in the towel where you could wash your own feet that's so interesting because that was just a part of culture that's not a quote christian thing that was just right. the culture that they lived in yeah exactly mm-hmm. and so here's where jesus kind of breaks a cultural norm and in doing so creates a new culture mm-hmm. he gets up and he puts a towel around his waist and he washes his disciples' feet, which that's breaking a cultural norm. Either they should have done it when they walked in or a servant should have, but they were in this guest room where there weren't servants. And Jesus is their master. He's their Lord. You know, he's their rabbi, their teacher. And he gets down and washes their feet. And he says, now that I've done this for you, you should go and do this for others. And the, the quote-unquote moral of the story here is that, hey, if you're a leader, then you should serve. And we kind of stop there at that. I mean, at least every time I've heard this passage preached on, it's like, you know, if you're a leader, if you're a pastor, you really exist to, like, serve people. You know, if you're the CEO of a company, uh, you really should exist, you know, lead to serve. Serve, 
So this is where servant leadership came yeah. from, the, that premise. Okay. But I think it goes so much more deeper. I think mm-hmm. Jesus was something a, a lot more significant than just telling them to, to serve as leaders. Mm-hmm. What he was doing was he was empowering his disciples to make culture. Mm. So if you're a first century businesswoman and you get invited over to, you know, you meet someone out in the marketplace and they're like, Shane, oh, thanks for selling me these dates, you know, or figs or whatever. You're <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah. And you're like, well, hey, I'd love to invite you to my home where we're going to have a conversation about the teachings of this, uh, this rabbi named Jesus. Are you interested in coming? And you'll say, well, yeah, sure. I'll think about coming. Cause they didn't have churches like church buildings back. in the mm-hmm. And so imagine yourself walking to this, this person's house and you enter their home and the person that invited you, the owner of this house meets you at the door kisses your cheeks, invites you to sit down and then starts washing your feet, you would be blown away. You'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, my word, this, the master of the house is washed. There's something different about this house and about this group of people. Mm-hmm. If that person was following Jesus' teachings on, now you go wash others' feet. Mm-hmm. You would, you'd be receiving messages long before you would even hear about his teachings, Mm -hmm. you'd be encountering their culture. And so I think that there's something that's been lost in the church world and the business world and in our world, because we got shoes and cars and bikes and skateboards, you know, we don't need to wash each other's feet, but the culture of hospitality, I think has really been lost Mm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, in businesses, there's so there's so much competition as far as how people perceive their workspace that they've got to get ahead and compete and be the best and close the deals and all that stuff that they've lost that the the wel- welcoming everybody to the table, everybody bring their ideas, it, kind of like like a team working as a team but embracing the individual strengths and allowing people to, to be who they are. Yeah. Offering them that space. Yeah. Instead, what I see is um, cutthroat, you know, survival of the fittest. Those are the type of things that we hear is, you know, fake it till you make it like all those kind of things. These people are putting masks on to survive in those workplaces because the leaders are not embracing creating a safe space, welcoming people. If you're hiring somebody, you need to welcome them in. And that's a part of culture. Right. I mean, there's a guy that I, I mean, I say I'm a student of culture. The main person that I've been learning from has been this guy named Sam Chan, C-H-A-N-D, Chan. And he's got a couple books out on culture, one of them is the culture catalyst. But he basically, I mean, there's all these definitions of culture out there. You can read these long definitions that are three sentences long or whatever. But he basically says the definition of culture is this is how we do things here. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, just that simple. This is how we do things here. Yeah. It sets the tone and the expectation. 
It's, and it's up to the leader to be, be very proactive in what do they want the culture of their company to be. Mm-hmm. They need to step back and think, like, do we want a culture of people helping each other out to solve problems and get projects done? Or do we want people that are vying to be the top dog? Yeah. So, so Chan would say that it's up to the leader, like you said, to mm-hmm. kind of create culture, mm-hmm. to drop just what are we going to celebrate here? What are mm-hmm. we going to value here? And it's up to the leader then to help make everybody else around them a culture carrier. Mm, I like that. So he's the culture creator and then make sure that the people on your team are culture carriers, that they're taking this culture with them. They need to be led, they need to be taught and shaped and educated and corrected. And he he would even say the number one reason why people leave organizations or get fired is because they don't fit the culture. Mm -hmm. And so it's like their challenge of leadership there. It's not your product or or capabilities. It's a person who just doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. They can make the culture toxic. Yeah, definitely. So do you have steps that a leader could sit down and walk through the steps to figure out where they're going, if it's really what they want, and if it's not how they can change it? Well, yeah, yeah. So you got to think about culture as is created from messages that people receive. So you got to think about like what messages are people receiving from me? They may, you may be, you may be sending some messages that you don't intend to send. And people, uh, if, if you're, if one of your messages is being sent because you're in a you're in a hurry, you walk past someone, you're maybe a little quicker than you normally are, and they try to ask you a question, and you're just like, oh, I got, I got to get to a meeting, and you leave. They could receive a message that says, well, that person's rude, mm-hmm. or they're all they're always in a hurry, or they're rushed. Where that's probably not the case, but in that instance, you created culture for them if they if they didn't know you. Mm-hmm. Like, oh wow, that person seems busy, hurried. Mm-hmm. Um, another great example of trying to pay attention to your culture is, well, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. If you know, what's one of your favorite restaurants and a favorite dish that you know you just love and that when you go to this restaurant, that's the one thing you, you know you can count on being awesome? That is so funny. I love going to the Cheesecake Factory and in like 25 years, I have always had their chicken Thai pasta. It's never changed. It's consistent. It's always delicious. Nice. All right. And 25 years, that's a long time for them to have the same <laughs> item on the menu. Chicken it's thai so pasta. good. Chicken Thai pasta. It's so good. Yes. <laughs> All right. So here's a great example of, of culture. You go to the Cheesecake Factory and you order your chicken Thai pasta. Uh-huh. And they bring it out, you smell it coming, and it's just, you're like, the anticipation's building, you know it's going to be cooked to perfection, it hasn't changed in 25 years. They bring out this, this wonderful dish that you love, and it's served on a dirty plate. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, crumb, there's dried egg on it from some other dish, and there's, uh, just, the plate is dirty. Mm-hmm. Would you still eat it? 
No. No. Okay. Uh, why not? There's nothing wrong with the food. It's because the plate is dirty, right? So the plate is culture. Everything that you serve, your product, everything that you present, every message that you have is served on this plate mm-hmm. uh, of culture. And if the plate is dirty, no matter what, no matter how great your message is, no matter how great the product you are trying to put out there is, if the plate is dirty, if if the culture is toxic people people won't receive it right and so i think that relates to business as much as it does the church because if i have this message where i want to help people flourish in this life with christ Mm -hmm. my culture is perceived as rude and arrogant and uh, snobby or uncaring then they don't want to hear a a message uh, about jesus and if and if your business is uh, i want to help people uh, grow as a communicator. I'm going to help you become a public speaker. But then when you meet with someone, they get the sense that you're only there to hear the sound of your own voice, right? not help them with theirs. So you could have the greatest communication course or the greatest product, but you got to pay attention to, is your plate clean? Mm, that's really good. Is your plate clean? And I really, so, this is what Jesus was doing with his disciples when he's saying, mm-hmm. When people enter your homes, wash their feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cleaning the plate. Mm-hmm. Before they share a meal or before they share a message, before they share a teaching about Jesus, they've actually communicated a whole lot about who mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. That they're there to serve and to bless. And to, yeah. And that they care about the person that's coming in the door. Absolutely. Yeah. I heard something the other day about um, when you have to give correction I, I want to say it was from Cy Wakeman. I, I, I believe it was Cy's work. If you don't have a relationship so that the person knows that you care about them, then you can't correct them. Oh, absolutely. Which yeah. is so interesting because so many leaders come in barking at their teams. You blew this deal. You know, why isn't this done? And they're just, instead of showing... You know, some curiosity asking questions of like what happened they just come in like fueled for a fire Mm -hmm. and immediately that culture says you really don't care about me or what might be going on here you're all you care about is your bottom line yeah and so there's a few things i like to say to that point and Mm -hmm. that is um well just as a leader i have uh i don't know it's seven people in my department and mm-hmm. i've tried to really say i want to try new things i want us to take risks mm-hmm. and i have to make sure that i'm creating a culture where it's where it's okay to fail mm. and if we want if we want innovation to really happen um people have to be willing uh to try new things and not be afraid of making mistakes mm-hmm. so i want to create a culture where it's okay to fail as long as we're learning from our mistakes now if people are feeling like over and over and over again and not learning anything, then that's another conversation. But does my team feel the freedom to take risks and fail uh, in order to innovate and try and try new things to reach new people or right. tried stuff that uh, didn't really get the results we wanted. So let's try something new, but 
that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is working with a lot of teens and young adults, there's tons of things I could correct right away that I see. Mm-hmm. But I like to think in terms of deposits and withdrawals. Right. And if I'm going to correct someone, I want to make sure that I have enough relational deposits in their life. I've added value to their life. I've mm-hmm. given them advice or wisdom that's really helped them. And if I make enough deposits in someone's life, then I think they give you the ability to, to, to make a withdrawal. Right. So that's building the trust. Mm-hmm. If you're making those deposits, they know you're, you're vested in me. You care about me. You call it relational equity or something. Right. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I yeah, that- that's really good. What would you say to somebody, to the business owner, and let's even speak specifically, it's a Christian business owner, and they throw on their, say, their company trucks or their marketing materials something that alludes alludes to the truth that they they have a Christian belief, but mm-hmm. they don't do what you're describing. They they don't create that safe place to learn and fail, so that their people can become more innovative. Is there a way to to get that aha moment for them to step back and look at that culture, that dirty plate that they're serving? Well. Yeah, I'll tell you, I mean, culture will really be revealed when, when you make a mistake. Uh, when you get something wrong, culture will be sure to, uh, well, I would just say this here, I have, my, I have some notes out here. Yeah, so Sam Chan was asking the question, how do you learn the culture of a place? You learn the culture after you mess up. Mm-hmm. And when you mess up, bam, the culture is going to hit you in the face and let you know. Yeah. So for, you know, if a business is promoting something over here and then they're getting these other reactions from customers or patrons or whatever, hopefully that would be a wake up call that, wow, something's out of alignment here. Mm-hmm. What we're saying and our, our, what we're providing, our service or whatever it is. You know, it's, it's such a, I, I really love this topic because I've seen this exact thing play out. And it almost is like a lack of self-awareness, but also a piece of self-deception in thinking, oh, don't worry about that. Like, that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Don't look at that. Look at this. You know, focus on this. And, um, and it can be a little, not a little, probably a lot dismissive to the team members when they have those concerns and they're seeing things are going wrong and that that leader is not listening to that, they're dismissing those things. Yeah. Yeah. And culture is tricky. I mean, it is usually it's, it's not noticed. It's not spoken. It's not really examined. And so to be able to identify your culture, yeah, you need to have a high level of self-awareness for sure. And like you, like you said, if self-awareness isn't there, then you might be bulldozing people over without even knowing it. And Mm -hmm. you have people leaving or quitting and it's like, why is our retention rate so low? Well, Mm -hmm. you just haven't taken time to examine your culture and to to figure out what those messages are. Mm -hmm. And the environment, the, 
the environment that you're working in, the plate that you're serving it. Mm -hmm. That's really important to put those things in order because if you're focused on growth and you grow faster than you can actually sustain because you have not implemented those core values into your company of, you know, what do you want this to look like? How do you want this company to function? How do you want your people to feel when they come in the door? Mm-hmm. That's so important because people spend 40 hours plus at a job, you know, maybe 60, some people 70 hours. Yeah. And they're going to burn out fast if they have no voice, no input. And the, the culture is toxic. Yeah. And your culture will meet people before you meet people. Mm-hmm. I like if that. They your lobby, when they walk into the info desk, the foyer, uh, the things that you have sitting out, uh, how the cleanliness of, of your space, it's, it's all going to communicate some things about what you value and, and yeah. That's good. I like the lighting, that. The feel. It tells mm-hmm. you a lot about who people are. Yeah, so you actually have to set the mood, set the stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's something I think gets dismissed a lot. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe not like a ton, but when I when you think of what people value, sometimes not a lot of discussion or care or intention gets put on the ambiance of a place. Mm -hmm. No, more and more, I think bigger churches are doing that well. But uh, some other organizations or churches might just think, oh, we don't need to waste, quote unquote, we don't need to waste money on plants. Yeah. <laughs> or, or whatever it is. But yeah. that really does communicate a lot. Right. That's good. You said something um, really interesting. Culture eats things like vision and mission for breakfast. Yeah, that's a variation of, of a Sam Chan quote. And I love it because, man, you, your organization can have the most inspiring vision. It can have the greatest strategies or the most, uh, you know, the noblest cause or mission. Mm-hmm. But if your culture is one of apathy or... Uh, self-serving, then the, the, we'll never get the mission done. Mm-hmm. We'll carry out the strategy and right. we'll be excited about the vision. So if you're if you're a church that says, you know what, we really got to reach our local community, mm-hmm. and the 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 leader is all about having this vision to give the community a facelift or whatever, but the culture of the church is one of like, no, we're we're kind of fine where we're at and. They won't be on board with it, but it's an inspiring vision. But if the culture is one of, eh, oh, hum, mm-hmm. it won't get carried out. So culture really does matter in creating that culture mm-hmm. to be able to support the vision or mission or strategy, whatever it is, it's just as probably more important than the actual mission. I know I'm seeing a lot of change and growth in a lot of the churches out here in the Los Angeles area and Orange County. Because I I think that we went through this really long, dry season of churches being like, oh, we're comfortable. We're fine. Everybody here at our church kind of looks like us. 
probably the same demographic. And that's not good enough anymore. Hmm. What are you seeing? As far as churches like in on the East Coast here? Yeah. And just like the different conferences that you're going to is getting people on board, like you said, with vision. Because, you know, with, if there's like that verse, it says, if there isn't a vision, then the people perish. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so you see these churches that are just kind of, they're like, they're stuck. They're not reaching out to the communities. They're just kind of ho-hum. We're comfortable. Yeah. Are you? Are you seeing a big shift in your area as well? I yeah, and I think that's been a, a culture that church has created for itself over the years. Of this, I think what you're describing is kind of the country club mentality. Yeah. Where uh, well, I'm, I'm a member at this church, and I my membership should come with certain benefits. Mm -hmm. And so, for a lot of these, like some, a lot of smaller churches especially if they're still using the membership uh, strategy. Mm -hmm. They might have 200 and some members at their church, but on, on a regular Sunday morning, there might only be 75 people mm -hmm. because they just want to make sure, well, that's where, that's my, that's where I'm going to go get buried. That's the church where I got married or married or buried, you know? And so mm -hmm. they have their membership there and that's, that's dangerous to, to stay there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think a lot of churches, I know the church you go to, you don't use the term volunteers, I don't think. What do you call people that? that change volunteer? makers. Change We're makers. called change yeah. makers. Yeah. You don't use the word member. You don't use the word volunteer. Mm -hmm. you're, you're creating culture by, by using language. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And so our church calls our volunteers ministry partners. So they're not just here to, to show up and be a member to receive benefits. Mm -hmm. We're trying to change culture by the names we give ourselves and others by saying, hey, you're partnering with us in ministry by helping us carry out the good work that God's prepared for us. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot to be said in the names we use that create culture as well. And so to move away from this country club mindset of we're fine, we're kind of ho-hum and just we show up, we hear a great message, and we maybe attend a class and get some value from it to know we're not just a country club. We exist as people, people partnering together in ministry, or we're coming together as change makers to go out and make a difference, make a change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of people do have that country club mentality. And as a society, we live in a time where people really want to be entertained. Mm -hmm. And that I think can collide with some of the messaging that churches are using because they're, they're trying to get, of course, the message of the gospel out and it's no longer, you know, Su Susie playing the church organ like it used to be like back in the day with the right. traditional hymnals like things are really changing because as you know as a next-gen pastor um, we've got to be I hate to say on point but it is sort of on point with what speaks to them what gets their attention so that they'll stay and listen mm -hmm. yeah worship is an area that has changed culturally mm -hmm. And, you know, some, the church, if, if it's been great at anything over the last 
thousand years, it's been they they're really good at insulating themselves to change. Oh my gosh! So there you go. That's the that's the truth bomb right there. <laughs> <laughs> or I mean, there's yeah, like you said, like back in the day, it was Susie so and so or Ethel or whoever who was, <laughs> who was playing the church organ. Well, there's still churches out there that are doing that, mm-hmm. and that's fine. I mean, if that's you can worship with any style you want, but name one person that you know who's driving down I five, you know, listening to organ music. Right. You know, listening to hymns on the radio. Well, music has changed since you know nineteen fifteen, mm-hmm. like twenty or eighteen, whatever. Music has really changed uh, with you know just pop music in in general. So Mm -hmm. worship music can change with that as well. And so like the way that people worship in our culture is so different than it was back in the day. And so we want to be able to provide that on Sunday morning, Mm -hmm. what they're going to be worshiping to in their car. We want to be able to have that Sunday morning. Right. Um, Yeah. And I've heard people that say that they, they think that churches should be, you know, not so showy, not so flashy. I've, I've literally heard that like, oh, you know, the music's too loud and they've got, you know, lighting effects and they've got all this tech going on and all that. But it's creative expression uh-huh. is, is the way that I see it. And I'm like, you know, not the church I go to is really big and we have those things. Like we have musicians that some of the people on on the worship team are actually studio musicians that that do some touring and do some like backup work recording for, you know, bigger names, but there they are, they're using their gifts and their skills at church. Not every church is going to fit every person. Like some people think that that's too much. I respect that. But if I go to a church where they are pulling out the hymns, it's kind of, it's just dry. Mm -hmm. It's just dry. And the messages or the messaging is, like I know you've seen this, the messaging is kind of like they used to say, get right or get left. <laughs> and it was like a real spirit of judgment. Oh, wow. Yeah. Instead of like where I go, it's um, everybody's welcome, mm. you know? Yeah, so yeah. crossing like that message over even into leadership, into like the CEOs and the business world of that, Everybody's welcome, of course, with some healthy boundaries, but also giving people creative expression within their roles at the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a few things came to mind there. I'll tell you, our lighting guy and our production team at our church view it as worship. Mm. When they're, they're helping create the environment that helps people focus on uh, connecting with the heart of God through mm-hmm. singing. And mm-hmm. so the lighting plays a huge part in that and having the lyrics on the screen to be able to sing it, mm-hmm. uh, the music being at a, a, a good volume that's not too loud, the instrumentation of it, uh, it's an emotional language. And if mm-hmm. it's spoken well, it's going to help you worship well. Mm-hmm. I'll confess, the first time that I went to a large church, I mean, this is back 2006, I moved away from home for the first time. And I went and visited a very large church out in our area here in Pennsylvania. And I went to the service and I left the service and I said this to myself in the car. I'm like, this isn't church. This, <laughs> this is a production. 
I I was gone for six months and I visited this other church that was kind of uh, more of what my feel was that I grew up with. And then six months later, I went back to that church to try it out again because I shared this with, I didn't know this at the time, but I was talking with someone about this church and he was actually one of the elders. (laughs) (laughs) He's given another chance. You know, it's not, it's not just a production. It's, it's how we worship. And so I went back six months later and I tell you, I found community there Mm. and to be moving to a new area, uh, moving out of the house for the first time in a new area Mm. where I didn't know anybody. And I'm at this church and I found community and it grew on me. And now I just, I can't imagine doing church any different now because uh, those are the songs I listen to. And that's the, that's how I worship. And and all of that played a part in helping me meet the people that would help me grow. Is that the church that you're on staff at now? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I did end up staying at that church for five years though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. Now we can see things through a certain lens and then go back and give it a shot and go, Oh, hmm, okay. Maybe I was yeah. a little quick to judge. Right. Oh, that's so interesting. Well, being that you're a next gen pastor, and the last time that you were on, we had a had a really heavy conversation about being available to kids and paying attention, and how kids are numbing out, and how kids are cutting to feel something. Like it was an intense conversation. Um, What do you see happening now with youth, as far as? since you've been on the show, there's been so many shootings and just different things going on. Like, how do you see those components affecting our kids? And what can we do to make sure that we're paying attention as parents? Because I got to get your perspective on that while I have you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't think there's any quick answers to that discussion. And I think it is a discussion. It's an ongoing conversation. If one thing that I've seen it uh, the effects of, of those things to our young people, along with many other things, along with just social media and how connected students are, young people are, is the amount of uh, anxiety and depression that they, that they deal with. And mm-hmm. I don't think anxiety or depression is anything new. I mean, you can read through the book of Psalms and just read David in Psalm 55 even, um, I mean, just you can just flip through the pages mm-hmm. of the psalm, and you can see, like, is David bipolar? Like, in one <laughs> passage, it's like, God, where are you? How come you're not near me? How come you're far from me, and I can't hear you? And then you flip the pages, and it's like, where can I go from your spirit? You're always around me. Even yeah. if I rise on the wings of the dawn, you're there. If I go down to the pit, you're there. It's like, God, you're closer to me than my skin. But so David struggled with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, feeling far from God and disconnected from others. My enemies are all around me. And so that creates anxiety and depression. Here's the thing where I don't think it's anything new, but I think it is a lot more prominent. Mm-hmm. I think that the, uh, the wisdom to combating that is, it should always be leading. The question to ask is, where is this leading you to? Where is mm-hmm. it coming from? And where is it leading you to? And for David, it was always back to trust. 
I will trust in you, God. Even though this is happening, I trust you. I think that's his very last, that's his very last line in Psalm 55. You know, you can read through this chapter where he's just feeling beat up and he's like, but I trust you. And then the second one is community. Uh, God existed us. God, God existed us. Can you strike that? Or you can keep it for humor's sake. But God created us to exist. <laughs> I, I sound real educated good. On oh, oh, all right there, Billy Bob. Can you just start that over? <laughs> oh, man. God created us to exist in community. Like we are hardwired to be in community. And I know your church gets this um, and does it really well. But the more, the more that we can move young people into healthy community, authentic community, where they know that they belong, where they know they're valued, they're going to start seeing and experiencing how their life makes a difference. And for many young people, they just don't feel, they feel aimless. They, they don't know why they're here. And they're never going to find that out unless they exist well in community. And so I think those two things are, are key in fighting anxiety and depression is growing their faith and trust in God and helping them be attached and connected to Jesus, but mm -hmm. then also getting them attached and connected to good, healthy community. Yeah. That's so good. I love that you brought up David and Psalm 55 because, you know, I have been at churches that were like, um, if you're depressed, there's something wrong with you. There must be sin in your life and you need to repent totally against um, seeking out any kind of like medical support for that and mm. had that mentality of, well, you just need Jesus and you'll be okay. And I actually talk about that a bit in my book because that was just, that was something that I learned when I was young and I really bought into it and, and struggled for a long time with some different issues. So I'm, I'm really glad that you pointed out that's kind of the human experience is we have emotions and our emotions are kind of like up and down. Like in the morning, it can start off really bad. And by the end of the day, you're on top of the world. So like, would you be like, People would be looking at you like, oh, if they wrote, if they read your journal, oh, you're bipolar because look at what you wrote this morning. And then tonight, right. you know, some, you got the phone call that you were hoping for and now you're on top of the world. Yeah. <laughs> but people are so quick to judge and assign meaning to things as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah the, th the other thing I found interesting about, I mean, David is writing this stuff down. Mm-hmm. He's taking time to reflect. And, and he's usually writing it down as a prayer. Yeah. And I, I, I encouraged our young people in this uh, a couple of nights ago uh, when I was speaking to some teens. I said, maybe some of you just need to sit down and journal and reflect. And instead of writing, dear diary, this is the mm -hmm. worst day ever. I'm so angry, blah, 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 blah. Like started out by saying like, dear God. Mm -hmm. I, I, think there's, I think just that little tweak can make a world of difference inviting God into that conversation, inviting God into that space mm -hmm. where you are just being honest and starting a conversation rather than just, you know, vomiting a bunch of words out on a piece of paper. You can still be angry. You can still be 
irritated and uh, depressed and whatever, and but invite God into that space. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go back to community again and say, mm-hmm. invite others into that space as well. There you go. And I'll, here's, a, here's a great distinction I hope is helpful for anyone who's listening. The difference between transparency and vulnerability. Mm. So transparency says, this is who I am. This is me. This is what I've done. This is what I do. This is my perspective. This is who I am. Deal with it. I'm just putting myself out there. I'm just being me. Mm-hmm. Vulnerability is just a little different in that it says, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is what I believe. This is my perspective. This is who I am. But I'm going to hold that out to you with open hands as a gift. And I'm mm-hmm. going to allow you to speak into that. I'm mm-hmm. going to invite you into that space uh, for a word of encouragement or comfort or disagreement and and have a conversation and i'm going to allow you to correct me going back to your conversation earlier about correcting people Mm -hmm. well has there been vulnerability cultivated in that community Mm -hmm. where people are actually inviting each other in for correction and you know that's so important for for growth that is so good that is so good. And the question that you said earlier when you were talking about um, the youth asking, where is it coming from and where is it leading? Mm-hmm. That's a question to go right back to leadership. Because leaders that are not self-reflecting, they're losing. Mm-hmm. Whenever I've spoken out on leadership, I said, here's how you win the game every day of the week. People want to be seen and heard. Mm. That's it. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them. You don't have to support their opinions. But if you just see them and hear them, they will begin to trust you so that you can pour back into them those corrections, those changes, those things. That, that's what leadership is about. This is so good. Yeah, and that's, that's, the, that's the culture you want to create where people mm-hmm. have a voice, where they know they can get a hearing. Mm-hmm. and that they're listened to mm-hmm. they're seen and then celebrated yeah that's that's creating culture right there as a leader for sure it's totally good so garrett we've covered so much ground here and i love to ask the question what advice would you give to your 20 year old self well at the beginning of last year i kind of moved into a time of learning in an area that I've never learned before, just the, the mindset of an entrepreneur. And that mindset is one of viewing problems and obstacles as opportunities. Mm-hmm. And one of the books that I read that just really blew my mind was Disrupt You. Oh. And it was talking about dis- disruption, disruption in the marketplace. And it was just story after story of these seemingly impossible situations where I'm like, how is this guy going to get out of this one? Or how is he going to make it work? Mm-hmm. And the, the mindset that the, the author had, I can't remember his name, but he just created these win-win situations that worked out for him and the person he was doing business with. And I'm like, man, I want more of that. I mm-hmm. want to be able to view these obstacles and problems that I'm, 
that come up. I want to view them as more of opportunities for, for growth to take place. And so I wish I would have learned that stuff when I was 20 and not now when I'm 37. You know? Yeah. Well, it's never too late. And obviously look at what you're doing with it. You've got so many great resources on Distant Mentor, which is your website. I'll have that linked below. And you're working on new projects. So tell us about what's coming down the pipe for you next. Well, one thing that you could get right away is just a, a downloadable worksheet that I created called Trajectory. And I love that word, trajectory. It's just mm-hmm. you know, setting direction and not paying attention to where you are, but where you want to get to. And it's just a worksheet that has 10 questions to help you set direction for growth. A lot of people want to grow in so many different areas, and maybe they can identify the area where they want to grow, but they just don't know how to start. Mm -hmm. So I created these questions that I use in my coaching and mentoring one-on-one. I just wanted to throw them out there for anyone to use. So if you sign up for my newsletter, uh, you can get this worksheet that will hopefully help you just set direction towards growth in whatever area that you want. Mm-hmm. And it really helps you set your intention, but also invite some inc- accountability and, and then to be able to take action, take those next steps forward. That's so good. I love it. And do you have a course that you're working on as well? Yeah, that should be ready in November, I'm hoping. So it's a course on calling. And of course, mm-hmm. that topic is talked about with a lot of mystery in the church and just in the world in general. People like mm-hmm. follow your calling, follow your passion. And mm-hmm. what does all that stuff mean? Well, I've been working on this course for over two years now and I've taught it on retreats and in conferences, but I'm finally going to, I'm going to hold a retreat where it's, it's going to get recorded and I'm going to have it to be available uh, just on my website or somewhere out in the digital world there on the interweb. <laughs> It'll be out there hopefully in, no, in uh, late November, mid-December. So. That's awesome. You know, I have a question for you around purpose. Do you believe that a person has one purpose in their life for all their life or at different times do they have different purposes? Definitely believe that it's, it changes and morphs over time. And I, and I think that it happens as uh, needs change mm-hmm. because you could, you could be like, I could be in a state right now where I feel like I'm living my, my full purpose and why I'm here. And then all of a sudden I notice something in the world that's broken, mm-hmm. needs uh, maintained, or I, I see something like, wow, if this thing could just be created, it could solve that issue. Right. And then all of a sudden you start to feel passion Mm-hmm. Get awakened in an area that was never there before. Mm-hmm. Start seeing yourself put in time to work on other abilities and skills that you have in order to meet this new need out in the world someplace, this new problem that needs solved. So I really think that God really, he brings stuff up into your mind or to your, in your world. Um, just think about when, when you get married. Mm-hmm. You know, your purpose is to be a great husband or wife and to love that person and to self-sacrifice. And then you have a baby. It's like, oh, my, my purpose has changed. I am now mm-hmm. trying to do all that stuff I was before uh, in my marriage relationship, and now I'm a father and now I'm a mm-hmm. mother. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that stuff changes a mm-hmm. lot, for sure. 
Yeah, I like that. Because some people, I think they get really pigeonholed into um, either they think they only have one purpose and they've come into a completely new place in their life, but they're holding on to what they used to see as their purpose or they're on this never ending search for their purpose. So they're going through like their twenties, their thirties, their forties, then they're getting into that fifties, starting to think about retirement and empty nest. And, and I think that that's a little bit of the component for the midlife crisis of like, Mm -hmm. Oh no, everything's changed. And I don't know my purpose. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I really think that Jesus loves to, I'm going to use it. This is kind of a negative sounding word, but I think it's actually a positive thing. Provoke. Uh I think she loves to provoke a provocation. Maybe that's a little bit of a softer word. (laughs) I really do believe that as we move through life, provocations happen. Jesus provokes things that cause us to take action in new directions. Mm -hmm. And and hopefully people will see that over and over as they walk with with God and throughout their life, that God's going to bring new needs up that he's gifted you to be able to meet and resourced you to be able to meet. So... That's so good. I love it. Garrett Lowe, you can find him at distantmentor.com and make sure that you look for Trajectory, his worksheet with 10 questions to help you figure out where you're going. And what's the name of the other, the course that's coming out? I'm going to call it Top Calling. Ooh, Top Calling. T-O-P. So it stands for Talents, Opportunities, and Passions. Ooh, talents, opportunities. I like that. Okay. I think I need to look at that. All right. Thank you so much for coming on, Garrett. And you know, there's an open mic for you anytime. Thanks for having me again. (laughs) (laughs) What a great conversation about authentic leadership. All right, folks, make sure you stop by Distant Mentor and say hello to Garrett I'll have everything linked for you below in the show notes. Grab that sheet trajectory. Ask yourself those 10 key questions because we do not get better if we don't reflect. Also, I wanted to let you know my book, The Girl in the Garage, hit number one on Amazon's new releases for the self-help inner child category. I'm ranking in the top 25 in a couple of other categories, top 50 in some others, and in the really big hard ones, top 100, but I'll take it. Hey, go grab your copy. It's on pre-order and it releases January 2nd. I really appreciate you being here. And of course, friends, until next time, I wish you every good thing.